Hello and welcome to this vidcast, which will try to reconcile emotions and quantified value at Facebook. You remember that a few days ago, Facebook's stock price crashed, immediately and instantaneously evaporating 230 billion US dollars of market value. Just to give you an order of magnitude, it's slightly more than McDonald's total capitalization and slightly less than the total capitalization of Toyota. So a very, very significant amount of money. As a reason of this phenomenon, people mention user losses. In some cases, in some zones, there are less users. Slowing down the growth rate, which is absolutely fundamental at Facebook. Growing an effective competition from TikTok, the subsidiary of ByteDance, which is supposedly getting public during the next months. Among the issues is also the reputation of Facebook, which was adversely affected by controversies on data usage. You remember the issue of Cambridge Analytica in 2017, which drove some companies and big players like Apple to restrict the access to user information. And last but not least, there are some questions about metaverse profitability in which Facebook wants to invest a lot of money. Now, once the first moment of emotion is over, let's try to quantify the value of Facebook. Interestingly, the first film which was produced and published by the Academy is about Facebook. It was in January 2020 and the title was Facebook after seven years of glorious fat cows. Now, the day you want to estimate the value of a company, you basically have two methods. One is to try to compare the company with other comparable companies listed in the stock market. So you have to find a comparable, which is in the case of Facebook, almost impossible because Twitter, Snapchat, LinkedIn are quite far from Facebook. And second, you have to find a multiple, a sales multiple, earnings multiple, and again, it's very difficult because Facebook is an extremely profitable company with a return on capital of about 60% when the competitors are hardly profitable. Then the first method doesn't work. Let's move to the second one, which is discounted cash flows. And then we have good news. Because Facebook is a good candidate for DCF, you can build a business development model for Facebook. Uh, based on demography, number of people, etc., which calculates the EBITDA and the capital expenditures, the source of the free cash flow. Now you have to discount the free cash flow at a discount rate, which again is accessible for Facebook. Let's move quickly through free cash flow first and the cost of capital. Free cash flow is about to start with revenues, number of people using the service multiplied by average revenue per user. We have data about daily and monthly average user by zone. We have revenues by zone, then we can calculate the revenue per user. And we can easily make assumptions on the evolution, volume, number of people limited by the population, and a vision of average revenue per user in the midterm in long term. Then we have to transform the sales into profit. We need to calculate and estimate a margin rate for the EBITDA. We need to have an idea about the capital expenditures and, of course, the evolution of the working capital requirement. Once we did the job, we have the free cash flow. Then we move to the discount rate. 
the weighted average cost of capital is in fact the cost of equity because there is no debt in the balance sheet of Facebook. The capital asset pricing model tells us that the cost of equity is government bond rate, T-bond rate, plus a risk premium, which is the average equity market risk premium of the market. There are plenty of academic discussions about that, but we'll take a kind of consensus multiplied by a very interesting parameter, the systematic risk coefficient, the very well-known beta, which is about the sensitivity of the company to what happens to macroeconomic conditions. The process which I am going to follow is calculate the revenue from number of users and average revenue per user, transform then revenue into EBITDA, working capital requirement change and capital expenditures, and calculate the cost of capital. I will tell you what the rationality was, what the parameters were in 2019, and we are going to compare that with actual 2022, with obviously some surprises. Let's start with the number of users. We have a very detailed communication, quarter by quarter, of the number of users, US and Canada, Europe, Asia, and rest of the world. What we can observe is that for US and Canada, it's plateauing. For Europe, it's still growing, but plateauing, as we can observe at the end of 2019. But there is still plenty of room for growth for Asia and rest of the world, which are still growing at a very high rate. Then I had to make estimates from that. So I looked at the estimated population by OECD in 2025. The figures are available. I looked at the number of users Q2 2019. I calculated the percentage of the total estimated population it represents. And then based on that, I made a forecast for 2030, so 10 years after. Let's have a look at that and compare with the actual Q4 2021. If you take the example of US and Canada, the number of users was representing 73% of the total population as it was estimated by OECD in 2025, which is about 245 million people. My forecast for 2030 was a small increase, but not a dramatic one. It's plateauing, it's at maturity, it's limited by demography. I made a forecast of 260 million, which was about 78% of total population US and Canada. And the actual Q4 2021 is not bad news because it is 262. So after two years, we are at a level which is more than the forecast in eight years time. Interestingly, my other forecasts were also quite pessimistic. As far as Europe is concerned, I suggested that it might go from 380-something to 450. Now we are at almost 430 after two years. As far as Asia is concerned, I was anticipating moving from 1 billion to 1.5 billion. We are at 1.3 billion. And for the rest of the world, it was moving up from 800 million to 1 billion people. We are at 945 million. Then the current situation is quite favorable against what I anticipated a couple of years ago. Now it's about where we stand. But also very interesting is to observe the dynamics. 
If you look at the last quarters of US and Canada and Europe, it's plateauing. No big deal, and it was anticipated. About Asia and rest of the world, it was growing up to about a year ago. And then it started stabilizing and even declining during the last quarter, which is really an issue for the company. So to conclude on growth, the maturity was anticipated for US and Canada on the one hand, Europe on the other hand. Maturity is problematic for Asia and the rest of the world. Once we have estimated the volume, we have to move to revenue per user. Again, we have detailed quarterly average revenue per users provided by the company. When you look at the figures and their dynamics, there are two conclusions. The first one is that it's a seasonal business. Q4 is each and every year much higher than the rest of the year, which is basically the consequence of advertising at the end of the year. The second observation you can make is that the zone which mostly contribute to the RPU is US and Canada, with about 30 plus dollars per quarter per user. Second, and quite far from that, Europe with 10. And third and fourth, and very far from that, is Asia and rest of the world. So in the four zones, there is an increase, but the main contributor is US and Canada. And if you combine number of users and revenues, US and Canada represents 10% of the number of users, but 50% of the total revenues of the company. In 2019, when I wanted to make a forecast about the evolution of revenue per user, I looked at the econometric data and calculations which were provided by the spreadsheet, demonstrating that the quarterly growth rate was 8.5%, and it was very strong and robust on a statistical point of view. Now, the day you observe that, you can say, oh, we'll extend the trend, which is ridiculous in that case, because it would lead us to a quarterly average revenue per user in 2030 of $860 when it was at that time 33. So I had to make moderate assumptions. To be honest, I converted the quarterly rate into an annual rate and projected a revenue per user of, for example, $76 for US and Canada when it was 33 Q2 2019. I did roughly the same for Europe and accelerated a little bit for Asia and rest of the world. Now, interestingly, if you look at the actual average revenue per user, Q4 2021, you understand that most of the trip has been accomplished by US and Canada. We are at 60 today, when it was supposedly 76 in eight years' time, and it has doubled, almost doubled, during the last two years. So we are on track. What about Europe? I selected a parameter of $21. We are at $20. So we are at the end of the trip, eight years before. In Asia, we are quite far from the end and rest of the world also quite far. So there's a very big question mark for Asia and rest of the world. But basically, there are good news for US and Canada and Europe, which contribute to the revenues of the company. Now, the total sales and revenues in 2019 were about 55 to $60 billion. The total revenues generated by Facebook in 2019 
with about 55 to 60 billion dollars. The revenue doubled in two years. Now we are at about 120. Now to reach the projected revenue, it has to almost double again, reaching 200 something billion. It looks quite reasonable. Now if you observe how the quarterly average revenue per user moved during the last quarters, you still have some seasonality and you still have some growth rate for US and Canada, for Europe, for Asia and for the rest of the world. So really the one and unique problem is kind of maturity, Asia, rest of the world, not the other parameters. Let's make a summary of where we stand now. During the last two years, revenues double. The objective is that it doubles again in the next eight years. And it's quite cautious forecast, I would say. Of course, Asia and rest of the world are quite problematic in terms of number of users. Now, once we have anticipated, estimated the future revenues, we have to transform revenues into free cash flows. To do that, we need to transform revenues into EBITDA, working capital requirement change, and capital expenditures. Let's start with the commercial profitability, EBITDA over revenues. And there I made a very big mistake. My assumption in 2019 was that the trend I had been observing starting in 2013 would keep on increasing. We had a 52% EBITDA to sales in 2018, and I was anticipating that 52% was a very cautious assumption for the rest of the periods. Now, it was a big mistake because it was not 52. It is now 46%. So I made a mistake overestimating the return on sales by 6%. It's very significant when you understand that 1% of EBITDA represents 3% of the value. So 6% of EBITDA is an 18% mistake on the valuation. Why were the EBITDA down? Because costs were up. Direct costs, cost of sales were up. Sales and marketing, the only one which went down. But R&D, which is not a cost, it's an investment, you remember, was up probably due to tougher competition, but also GNA, general and admin. These are indirect costs which are supposed to reduce as a percentage to revenues because of economies of scale when the company is fast growing. General and admin is up as a percentage to revenue. So you understand that there was a deterioration in the cost structure. That's why 52 became 46. The second step is about working capital requirement. I observed it negligible. I anticipated negligible. And the actual is a forecast. So no need to focus too much on working capital requirement change. It has a very insignificant impact on the value. Now, capital expenditures is absolutely fundamental. And again, I made a mistake. This is a second big one. But this one goes in the right direction. If you consider in the past the average capex to revenue ratio of Facebook, it was about 15 to 16 percent. In 2018, the company invested very much in its network, in its infrastructure, and the capex to revenue figure went up to 25 percent. And I anticipated that the company would keep on at the same rate. 
In fact, it went down year after year, and today it's about 15%. Now, the next step is about capital expenditures. And here, again, I made a very big mistake, but in the right direction, if I may say. When you observe the evolution of the capital expenditure figure as a percentage to revenue in the past, it was about 15 16%. In 2018, just before I make my forecast, the figure moves up to 25% because the company is massively investing in the development of its network, of its infrastructure. And my assumption is that it's going to remain at such a high level in the future. Big mistake. It went down year after year, and the actual capex to revenue figure is about 16%. So I made a 9% mistake, quote, in the right direction, and 1% of capex is 3% of value, the same as EBITDA. Though at the end of the day, when you conclude on EBITDA and capex, the transformation of revenues into free cash flow, the forecast was EBITDA plus 52, capex minus 25, the difference is 27%. In fact, the actual was 46 minus 16, which is 30%. The mistakes were compensating. It's not exactly good news in terms of forecast, but it's good news in terms of value. Now, the next point is about cost of capital. As I said, the cost of capital is the cost of equity. Treasury bonds rate 1.8% in 2019. 1.5% a few months ago, 2% today, tomorrow, nobody knows. Equity market risk premium, 6%, kind of consensus. Beta, interestingly, 1.35 in 2019. What about beginning of 2022? We have to go back to beta and discuss the consequence on the business. The two or three years which followed the listing of Facebook, the beta was absolutely volatile and does not provide any information about the real sensitivity to macroeconomic conditions. Interestingly, it stabilized at one and then went dramatically down. From mid-2016 to about the end of 2018, with a beta which is 0 0.5, 0 0.6, and even 0.7 and 0.8, the beta of Facebook is a beta of a monopoly. Facebook is alone and dominant on the planet. Then some competition is showing up, and what's going to happen is that the monopoly is going to be transformed into a kind of restricted oligopoly. Consequent, the beta will be up. 1.35 is a beta of a company with some sensitivity to macroeconomic condition and some competitors. But interestingly, today the 1.2 is about the same. It's a restricted oligopoly, but a little bit less risky than it was a couple of years ago. What does it mean, restricted oligopoly, for Facebook? Well, Facebook is no more a monopoly. There are some competitors. If you remember, Facebook tried to buy its competitors and was successful at buying WhatsApp, at buying Instagram and did not succeed in buying, for example, Snapchat. Now, it's obvious that the world needs social media, which tends to lower their beta. And it is also obvious that Facebook, even though there are some problems, remains number one, which lowers the beta. Now, of course, 
on a risk analysis point of view, the very strong objective of Facebook is not to miss a turn. If there's something which is happening somewhere and they don't catch the opportunity, they might be in big trouble. Now we have all these parameters and we can transform these parameters into prices and fundamental value. If you look at the forecast, which I proposed Q2 2019, sales are ahead of the forecast. EBITDA minus CAPEX, the mistakes are compensating. The beta and the cost of capital, it's fine. Now the valuation I proposed at the end of 2019, based on these parameters, was $184. The stock price at that time was quite the same with $179, which does not mean that my parameters were right. It means my set of parameters was consistent with the value provided by the stock market. Now, what happened from 2019 to 2021? Sales were up by almost two thirds. Earnings per share doubled. What about the stock price? The evolution of the stock price of Facebook is quite interesting to observe. You remember the first months were quite chaotic. Now, starting mid-2013, up to 2018, it's dramatically up to reach $200 per share. Then a period of volatility. And after the beginning of 2020, it's up again. And it's going to reach a high of $384 per share at the beginning of the second half of 2021. Then it went down to 323 before it crashes to 237 now, people are saying, yes, it went down by 25%. The stock price crash had started in August, September 2021. And if you look at 237 today, it's minus 40% against the highest level of the stock price, which is quite dramatic. But now we have to try to evaluate Facebook today based on some assumptions. You remember that Performance is values. This is one of the strong messages of the platform. If you look at performance, it's return on capital. It's EBIT divided by invested capital, capital employed, the amount of money you invest in your business operations. And value creation, relative value creation, is named market to book. It's the enterprise value, which is the value of the business operations, divided by capital employed, which is the amount of money invested in business operations. Rosé and Market2Book are correlated for any company, including Facebook. No big deal about that. Now, once it's observed, it's interesting to confront the actual Market2Book, which you can observe. And I calculated the Market2Book today based on the stock price of $237, not end of the year 2021. And you compare this actual market to book with a theoretical market to book, assuming that the company is not growing anymore. You remember that Facebook is supposedly not growing anymore. Then the market to book with no growth is Rosé after tax divided by WAC. This is financial calculations. Today, the Rosé after tax represents five times the WAC. So if there is no growth at Facebook, the market to book should be five. As it is seven, even after the stock price crash, it means that there is still implicit growth in the stock price of Facebook. It has reduced, 
but it is still positive. Now let's make a couple of valuation based on the parameters we have. Let's imagine that the number of users is now completely stable and the average revenue per user is increasing a little bit, but not that much as a consequence of competition, as a consequence of restriction from Apple. So RPU from 60 to 70 in US and Canada, 20 to 25 in Europe, 5 to 6 in Asia, 3 to 4 in the rest of the world. I keep EBITDA, CAPEX and working capital requirement where they stay, Treasury bond rate 2%, beta 1.2. So it's evaluating Facebook today as it is today. Discounted cash flows give you a value, which is a kind of fundamental value of $95, which is very far from 237. In order to increase a little bit the stock price, I am going to keep the same stable number of users, but I'm going to boost the average revenue per user, for example, US and Canada from 60 to 90, etc., etc. I keep EBITDA, CAPEX, working capital requirement, treasury bonds, and the beta of 1.2. Even if I reach the same revenue, which was my forecast for 2030, which is 200 something billion dollars, then the stock price, fundamental value of Facebook, should be 125. We are at about 50% of the current stock price. So there must be still much more growth in the minds of investors when they look at Facebook. Now, interestingly, we have a beta which is 1.2. If we go back a few years ago and remember that Facebook was a monopoly, what was the beta at that time? 0.5, If we want to reach a DCF value of $237, which is its current stock price, we have to lower the beta to 0.55. Now, as the beta is a consequence of your competitive power, the beta is a consequence of business economics, it is as if Facebook was supposedly getting back to a situation where it was a monopoly, a kind of local monopoly. And local monopoly, which is a challenge for the company, might be geographical though. Maybe the company could concentrate on United States and Canada and Europe. Or local monopoly means a business and it is a development of metaverse. That's a challenge becoming a local monopoly. But you understand that in order to improve revenue per users, in order to be a monopoly again and again, in order to grow, you have to go beyond some hurdles and some barriers. And these barriers are named Apple, they are named TikTok, and they are named the reputation of Facebook. So you understand that there is huge uncertainty for the future of Facebook. Now the funny part of it. The last slide in 2019 is with smiles. Please watch the video again in 2022 because anytime you make forecasts, you make mistakes and you have to be very modest about that. Then to conclude this vidcast beginning of 22, I suggest we have another discussion on Facebook in 2024 and we'll probably smile again. Thank you very much.